the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2020 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses Welcome, welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. This show is usually in two parts. First part of the show, we're talking about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding court, avoiding probate. And in today's post-COVID world, it's very important to avoid going through court. And as far as elder law is concerned, we're trying to do some planning so we don't lose assets to a nursing home. Now, ordinarily, the second part of the show is about nostalgia, politics, history, religion, whatever. But last week, we just did interviews with two very estimable men, Dr. Brown and Colonel Brown, both World War II veterans. So today, we're going to be focusing on pretty much solely estate planning. And we are doing seminars on estate planning at the really in a couple of weeks now. Michael, when are the uh, seminar times? The seminar times that are upcoming are Tuesday, July 27th in Marine Park at Buckley's, that's 2926 Avenue S, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. Once again, Tuesday, July 27th in Marine Park at Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. Then, Wednesday, July 28th, we have it in Maspeth at Connolly's, 7117 Grand Avenue, 11 a.m., 3 p.m., 7 p.m., that's Connolly's in Maspeth, 7117 Grand Avenue. Video presentations at 11, a video presentation at 11 a.m. The other two will be in person. He will also be there to answer questions at the end of the video presentation. That's Wednesday, July 28th in Maspeth. Thursday, July 29th, will be here in Bay Ridge, 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. That's going to be at the Bay Ridge Manor, 476 76th Street. Once again, the Bay Ridge Manor, 476 76th Street. And the 3 p.m. one, once again, will be a video presentation, but that will be followed by Mr. Connors in person answering questions. Finally, Friday, July 30th, we have it in Bayside. Only two seminars that day, 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. That's Bayside at the Adria Hotel, 22117 Northern Boulevard. 22117 Northern Boulevard, the Adria Hotel in Bayside at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Friday, July 30th. Now, I hear it on rumor that General A.P. Hill... We'll make an appearance at the 3 o'clock seminar in, in Bayside. So 
It, it's our rumor, but you show up and see if he comes. I don't think he's going to be coming in uniform, though. But maybe if we ask him, he would. And also, if you're at the Bay Ridge Manor, if you want to see the military miniature collections, just schedule an appointment after, before the seminar. You can go see him. Um, because obviously I'm not going to be seeing a lot of clients that day because it's going to be the seminar. So the room should be available for viewing. And even if we do have some clients floating around in the, in the rooms, there believe me, there are a lot of rooms that are visible where you can see you know, part of the collection. In the meanwhile, like I said, we are going to focus mainly on estate planning this weekend. And Beth, you have a qu- couple of questions from the email audience. I do indeed. Dear Mr. Connors, my father died four months ago. We received the will this past week. I have had an attorney review it. My father left the three of us nothing, and we're rather confused as to why, particularly me. His second wife inherited all. The weird thing is my estranged brother was made the second exec- execute executor. Executor. Not me. Right here, close to my dad and a paralegal. He received some personal items, the two daughters, nothing. The other questionable thing is she dragged him in to do a will at 80 and a half years old, nearly three years after he was diagnosed with dementia. The attorney says I can contest the will, but of course that will cost more than all of us have. Any thoughts? Thank you so much. Bob. All right, Bob. Well, let's go through some of the issues. Now, 80 and a half is not that old in today's world. but And it depends what how advanced your father's dementia was. Uh, but if the case looks suspicious and he signed the will after he was diagnosed with dementia, you might have a case, depending on how the assets are titled and what assets pass through the will. You might be able to get a lawyer who will take it on a contingency, you object, and get a part of it your settlement. And at Connors and Sullivan, we can take a look at the facts and, you know, see if we think it's worth taking, uh, you know, on a contingency basis. Now, we can't always do that because sometimes, one, there may not be enough assets, or two, all the assets may be joint with his wife. And if all the assets are joint with his wife, it's going to be very, very, very hard to collect anything because it's almost impossible to you know, overturn a will that leaves everything to a wife unless there are a lot of strong circumstances on the other side. And if the assets are joint with the wife, the wife doesn't need the will to go through probate. It's a good sign that they've been notifying you about probate because that probably means there's some assets outside the will. And your grounds, well, possibly if your father had dementia, we might be able to argue that he wasn't of sound mind to do a will. And also there might be a question of undue influence you know, by the other family members. So we can take a look at it. You can't just object to a will because you want to object to the will. There has to be grounds. In this case, the possible grounds may be the dementia, that your father was not mentally competent to sign a will. And also, if the will doesn't look right, you never know. There are forgeries that occasionally happen. Um, A lot would depend on who witnessed the will. Was it an attorney? Uh, Was it a neighbor? Was it the, the wife's relatives or something like that? So, yeah, we we wouldn't mind taking a look at it if you want to schedule an appointment at our office, you know, at 718-238-6500. You know, I hate to give these answers. It depends, but it depends. But if there are enough good facts, a fact where we do have a case, 
we may want to proceed for it on a contingency basis. And I just want to throw this out there. As a practical matter, in New York, if you object to a will, if you have any grounds at all, there's usually a settlement. may not be a settlement that you 100% approve of, but I would say 95% of the time, there's usually a settlement, and it's worth a shot to take a look at objecting to the will. Again, in this case, you could probably object on due influence between your wife and your sibling, his wife and the sibling, I'm sorry, and also dementia, three years, depending on the, you know, how advanced the dementia was. But just because somebody has dementia does not mean they cannot do a will. Do they know who their family members are? Do they know what their assets are? Do they know that when they're signing this document, it is a will? And is it properly signed and witnessed by both the testator your father and the witnesses to the will. And were the witnesses to the will, you know, were they objective witnesses or were they friends of of his wife or your brother or a combination thereof? So you may want to take a look at it. Give us a call if you want at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Beth, what's the next question you have? Um, this one's similar to one we had before, but a little different. Dear Mr. Connors, my fiancé and I are 57 years old, and she owns the house in Bay Ridge where we live. We've been living together for many years, but she's hesitant to get married. I sold my home in Bay Ridge when we got engaged and used the proceeds to upgrade her home. I would like to know my rights, as she has children, and they are like my own, but my name is not on the deed. Advise, Luke. Well, Luke... Unless you get something in writing somewhere, you're out of luck. Um, your name's not on the deed. If your partner passes away, the house will go, I assume, to her children. Of course, you may have a will saying something different. But the house will go to her children, and they can kick you out within a few days after uh, she's gone. Now, again, with the COVID world and everything, it may take a long time to evict you. But still... You're not in a very good position. What can you do? Well, you could have a, a contract to make a will where she agrees to leave you X amount of dollars, lets you allow to stay in the house for a certain period of time. A will by itself doesn't protect you because she could do a will today and change the will a week from today, and you still might be out in the cold, so to speak, on the outside looking in. We can do an irrevocable trust. And the irrevocable trust would say after she's gone, you have a right to live there. And then maybe you get X amount from the eventual sale of the property, depending on how much money you contributed and your relation or whatever. But right now, she passes away, assuming she has a will leaving it to her children, or if she has no will, you're not married. You can't put a claim in against her estate. You're going to be on the outside looking in. So if you get married, you have certain protections. If you get married and you don't sign a prenuptial agreement, then you're going to be entitled to at least a third of her estate. Um, so that's one protection, getting married. And they're also, you know, God forbid, one of you goes to a nursing home. I know you're only 57 right now, but one of you goes to a nursing home 20 years from now. Nursing home bills could be a lien on the house. If you're married, we can probably escape that. So, you know, getting married is one solution. You don't want to get married. I understand that from the question. Well, then we can put the house in a trust, an irrevocable trust. Trust saying that you have a right to live there for X amount of years if something happens to her. And then part of the sales price goes to you to reimburse you for the money you put into the house over the years. 
or we can do a contract between you and your partner specifying some of these terms. Any one of those three would be better than doing nothing. If you're married and you don't sign a prenup, you're going to own part of the house if something happens to your partner. Now, I don't know if you have your own children on that that didn't come up in this email, but you know, even if you get married or even if you um, do a contract or whatever, your heirs wouldn't be protected. So the money you may put into your partner's house, you know, may be just gone forever. You never know. And, and I just want to throw this out to you and the audience. You know, everything's going fine. You don't think you need any, everything to be in writing. Then something happens and people start fighting. And believe me, you're always better off if you have some kind of plan and put something in writing. And, of course, from your point of view, you have to be protected. You know, if you're a significant other, your partner says, hey, I've got a will. I leave you this. Well, a will in, in this kind of particular situation doesn't mean that much because you can redo your will a week from now, two weeks from now, a month from now, six years from now, and then you have nothing. A will can always be changed. Now, you can do a contract to do a will in certain other provisions, let's say an agreement between the two of you that you get reimbursed for the money you put into the house and you can't get thrown out, you know, right away. But a will by itself gives you very little protection. You know, you should do some kind of contract, some kind of trust, put it in writing, make the fences clear. Because I can't tell you how many times, even like in a second marriage situation, you know, I, listen, I, I've seen children come in trying to evict their grandfather, you know, because grandparents put the house in daughter's name, daughter dies, then the grandkids come in, hey, I want to evict the old man. That's happened. You know, so everything should be in writing. Never count on people doing the right thing because you never know what pressures are going to be on them. They could be desperate for money. Um, their spouses could be saying, hey, why is that guy living in the house? We need to sell that house to pay our kids college tuition. We're going into debt. Let's let's sell that house. There are pressures to bear on people. And sometimes they don't always do the right thing. And, of course, sometimes it's not clear what the right thing is because nothing was put in writing from the beginning. So, again, anytime you're dealing with, with these type of situations, you need to do something in writing and something that's binding and something that can be enforceable. It's not always easy. But you should start with some kind of writing. We can always talk it over again. And if you want to give us a call, you're more than welcome to give us a call at Connors & Sullivan. Now we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to continue playing estate planning questions. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. 
If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, now accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. My son, Michael. Thanks for joining us today. Okay, so, Beth, you had a question. What? Yes, this is the, the basic question everybody wants to know. If I haven't done any estate planning at all, where do I begin? What are the first most important steps? Okay, well, the basic steps, and this is how we usually open up all the seminars, we talk about a will, a power of attorney, and a health care proxy. Those are kind of like the basics. That's the starting point in estate planning. Now, again, everybody should have a will. A will is a writing witnessed by two people that disposes of assets in your name alone. It appoints an executor. The executor, 90, 95% of the time, is going to be a family member, somebody who wraps up your legal financial business matters after you're gone. That's one of the most important parts about a will. Who's in charge? You don't want chaos after you're gone. You want somebody in charge. You want an executor. The executor, 90% of the time, is going to be a family member. Now, those people come to me you know, all the time and say, well, I don't have a family member. I'm leaving everything to charity. Well, if you're leaving everything to charity, then we can talk about it in our office. But you need to appoint somebody to transfer the assets to the charity after you're gone. So if, if you want to talk about that, if you're in that situation or you have relatives that you don't trust, or you can't trust them because maybe they have some kind of problem, we can talk about that. And again, you can always give us a call to talk about if I don't have somebody to be executor. So the executor, again, 90, 95% of the time is a family member, your spouse, son, daughter, trusted nephew or niece. Now, a will, again, very important document, and everybody should have a will. And, you know, at the seminars, people ask me this question, that question. I don't need a will because of this. I don't need a will because of that. And I'll give you, you know, a dozen examples why you need a will no matter what. Now, as important as a will is, it's a very limited document. And one of the limitations of a will, one of the biggest limitations of a will, it has no effect after you're gone. So if you want to appoint somebody, and again, usually a family member, to protect your assets, pay your bills, God forbid you suffer from a stroke or another disabling illness, you may want to think about a power of attorney, a durable power of attorney, where you appoint someone, again, usually a family member, to protect your assets, pay your bills, God forbid you have a stroke 
or another disabling illness. And a power of attorney is one of the most important and powerful documents that you can that you, you would be able to sign. Um, and, and I'm not saying do it lightly. Uh, if you give a power of attorney to the wrong person, that person could, could wipe you out. You could steal you blind. But if you're married, you want to protect your spouse in case you become sick. You want to be protected in case your spouse becomes sick. I strongly recommend that you do a power of attorney. And you might say, well, why do I need a power of attorney if I'm married? Can't my spouse automatically sign my name to, to documents? And the answer is no. So let me give you examples of some of the things that could happen if you don't have a power of attorney. Let's say you got a husband and wife. They own a house together. Husband has a stroke. He has to go to a nursing home. Wife wants to make the husband eligible for a nursing home, Medicaid. And, I mean, that can be done relatively easy in New York. Husband transfers virtually all of his assets to his wife's name. If they do it, let's say, on or before we're in the summer, they do it on or before August 31st, on September 1st, the first day of the month following the transfer, the husband, in this case, the husband had the stroke, can apply for nursing home Medicaid or, in New York, home care Medicaid. And some people are out there saying, wait, 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 wait. He, he, I thought there was a three-year look-back period, a five-year look-back period. What's he talking about? Well, if you apply for nursing home Medicaid, you have to document all your transactions that involve more than a couple of thousand dollars for five years prior to your application for benefits. But I can't say this enough. Transfers between spouses are exempt. So let's say husband has a stroke. He has to go to a nursing home. If the wife can transfer virtually all his assets with the power of attorney to her name, then she can apply for home care, nursing home Medicaid for her husband the first day of the month following the transfer. There is no penalty period on transfers between spouses. Now, you might say, well, well that's still, I don't understand. What does the power of attorney do? Well, here's the thing. Let's say, let's say the husband has a brokerage account. It's in his name alone. Wife wants to transfer the brokerage account from husband and wife to wife. She can't do that without his power of attorney. And if she doesn't have a power of attorney, she has to go to court and get a court-appointed guardian appointed, and they get court permission then to transfer the assets from husband and wife to wife. Well, right now, it could easily take a year before you got a guardian appointed and before you got permission from the court to transfer the assets from one spouse to the other. So if you're talking about a year and you're talking about fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars a month in the nursing home, that could be almost two hundred thousand dollars you've lost because you don't have a power of attorney. There's no automatic right for husband and wife in New York to sign each other's name. Doesn't matter how many years you're married. Let's say you have a house, husband and wife, deeds in both names. Husband has a stroke again, has to go to a nursing home. All right. Now, you can apply for Medicaid ordinarily if the house is in both names. Of course, if the house is worth a million dollars, technically you can apply for Medicaid, but we'll say for the sake of argument, that's not our problem. Okay, so husband and wife. And and a lot of times social workers will tell the spouse, the wife in this case, well, you don't have to transfer the deed. You can get Medicaid without transferring the deed. Absolutely right. But let's say husband goes to a nursing home and Medicaid is paying the nursing home, you know, the different rates for Medicaid than private pay, but let's say they're paying the nursing home $12,000 a month. So let's say they pay the nursing home bill for the husband for, you know, two to three years, $750,000 maybe it comes to. Then the wife dies. The house goes to the husband. Then, guess what? That house has a $750,000 lien on it, which, you know, could have been avoided 
if with good planning, we transferred the deed from husband and wife to wife, wife then would do a trust for that house, leave it to the kids, and then that way we would escape that lien. So, I mean, you, you could literally lose your house by not planning things properly. Uh, what else could you use for a, a power of attorney? What reasons you might use? Well, let's say the husband has a million-dollar IRA, 401K plan. Wife wants to access that 401K plan. Again, he's had a stroke. Wife wants to access that 401K plan, but she can't do it if she doesn't have her husband's signature. That's where the power of attorney could come into play. So if the husband put her on the power of attorney, allowed him to access the, the 401K, the IRA money, she could go access that money, pay bills, make improvements. Um, now, yes, she can apply for Medicaid, whether he owns that IRA or not, but maybe he's got a million dollars tied up in that plan, and maybe the wife, for tax planning and other reasons, might want to access some of that money and pay some bills and use it to support herself. Well, with the power of attorney, she can do that. She doesn't have a power of attorney. Again, she has to go to court, get court permission, and that can be expensive and it can be time-consuming. So again, power of attorney, very important document, very powerful document, one of the most powerful documents that we can you know, do in estate planning. And again, you got to be careful as far as estate planning goes. You have to be careful because if you give the wrong person a power of attorney, they can wipe you out and they can steal you blind. And believe me, I've heard a hundred horror stories. But at the same time, if you trust your spouse, you want to protect your spouse in case you become ill, you want to be protected in case your spouse becomes ill, I strongly recommend that you think about doing a power of attorney. And if you have a reliable son or daughter that you can trust, put them on the power of attorney. Because you got to ask yourself this question, who do I trust more? My relatives of the court system. And I hope for your sake, that it's your relatives. If not, maybe we got a problem, we got to talk about it. But usually there's always some type of solution, even if it's not the best or the only solution. But then in that case, maybe we want to talk about it. Now, one thing we didn't talk about as far as the basics, and, and the other part, the basic, is a healthcare proxy. Now, what's a healthcare proxy? A healthcare proxy is a, a document that's witnessed by two people that allows the person on the healthcare proxy, your agent, to make medical decisions on your behalf if you can't speak for yourself. So where does it come into play? Let's say whether, you know, a person has a stroke, they're not mentally confident anymore, and there's a question, should should the doctor try to operate, or should there be tubular feeding, or intravenous tubes or whatever put in? It's a tough question, and, you, you know, one a very blunt way of putting it in some cases, if you're in a coma, do you want to be starved to death or do you want intravenous tubular feeding? And and that's not always an easy question. And that was the Terry Schiavo question. Terry Schiavo was a relatively young woman. She went into a coma. Actually, when she went into a coma, she was 35 years of age. And she was in this coma for 14 years. Her husband wanted to get remarried, I, putting it bluntly, he wanted her dead. So he wanted to remove the feeding tube. Her parents, they wanted to keep the feeding tube, keep their daughter alive. And this was this took the courts 14 years to resolve this matter because it, it obviously was a very personal, deep question, and the husband and the parents were diametrically opposed to how their daughter, how her husband should wanted to treat her. 
So again, if you do a healthcare proxy, you're going to choose the person to make those medical decisions on your behalf if you can't speak for yourself. And sometimes how you want to be treated, again, that sometimes can be a very, very difficult question. There's no one right answer ahead of time. And I've known people, I think you've heard them on this show before if you listen to every show. There's some people that saying, you know, have artificial hydration, nutrition, you know, have tubular feeding, intravenous feeding withdrawn. That leads to a, an agonizing death. And whether there's pain or not, I think you can get six doctors to say it's very painful. Six other doctors say you don't feel anything. I don't know. But in any event, you want to do a healthcare proxy and choose a person that thinks like you do and is going to carry out your wishes. Again, 90, 95% of the time, it's going to be a family member, spouse, son, daughter, trusted nephew or niece. But whoever you put down, it's probably better than putting nothing down. Now, some people say, what's the difference between a healthcare proxy and a living will? Uh, a living will is not technically a legally binding document. A living will is a statement of your wishes. And usually the thrust of a living will is if, if, I'm, on, if I'm in a coma, if I'm terminally ill, if I have cancer, dying of cancer, I don't want extraordinary measures to keep me alive. And that's a guideline. And then you, you can put more specific uh, guidelines if, you, if you're in a coma for an extended period of time. You don't want artificial hydration and nutrition. Again, be careful what you're looking for because some people say that withdrawing the, you know, said, well, I don't be hooked up to machines or stuff like that. That's different. Terry Schiavo, for instance, going back to that case, she was not hooked up to any machine. She was not on a respirator. She was being fed artificially. That was it. So, you know, there's a question, and it's a deep question sometimes, of what your philosophy on life is. And a lot of people say, well, I just want to die. That might be, but do you want to respect life and the dignity of life? That might be a question that we talk about when we're doing a, a living will. And you don't need a living will. If you have a health care proxy and you have somebody appointed as your representative on your health care proxy and they think the same way you think, you do not need a living will. You let the health care agent know what you're doing. If at the other time maybe your nephew or niece is the agent on your healthcare proxy, and they don't know exactly what you want. Maybe you do a living will to give them instruction so they can follow your wishes and ease their conscience. And, again, a lot of people, you know, they just sign something on a living will, and they sign things, I think, that they don't even really know what they're signing uh, because, you know, say, well, I want a DNR. Well, a person 65 years old and perf perfectly healthy, they have a heart attack if you have a DNR. The emergency workers, in theory, let you die. Now, if in doubt, the EMS workers or whatever, they're going to try to save the EMT workers. They're, they're going to try to save your life. If in doubt, they're not going to go around leading, reading legal documents or whatever. But in theory, let's say if you sign a DNR, you're 65 years old, very healthy, you have a heart attack, they're not going to work to save your life if you sign a DNR. So it's not something that you just say, I want to sign. If you sign a DNR, that means pretty much you've given up on life. Maybe you're 95 years old, older. Maybe you have terminal cancer. But you don't just sign a DNR to sign a DNR. These decisions are not decisions always that can just be, you know, made without thinking about them. But at the same time, I think it's very important that you have the right person to make medical decisions on your behalf if you can't speak for yourself. And that document is a healthcare proxy. So this is what I'm saying. The basics, the first step in estate plan is to a will, pav attorney, and health care proxy. Now, some people say, well, I don't want to do a will. I want to do a trust. Even if you have a trust, 
The first step is to do a will. A will is kind of the guide map for the trust. The will says, where do your assets go? Then later on, we can carry out a plan. And later on could be a week or two later. Later on, we, we carry out a plan to fulfill your wishes to make sure the assets go in the way you want them to go without having to go through court, without having to go through probate. So again, we're going to take a short break. Um, Michael, let me ask you this question before we take a break. Where do, where do they give us email questions? If you want to send us an email question, you're going to want to send it to askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Of course, Connors is spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Okay, and you're more than welcome to send us a question. So, okay, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Those of you interested in the show, you're going to say, hey, when's the interviews coming up? Well, this week we're going to focus on estate planning elder law. We've got seminars coming up at the end of the month, and we'll, we're, we're trying to give you a preview right now to get some of the ideas and questions that we're going to be talking about at the seminars. Now, Beth, what, what's the one of the most often off, uh, questions most often asked at the seminar? Well, you just spoke about how important a will was. Um but this might seem odd, what probate is. But then why do we want to, appro- to avoid the probate? Okay, pro- probate is a court proceeding after you're gone to probate your will from the Latin to prove. And basically, when do you need to probate? You need to probate when there are assets in your name alone when you pass away. When I say in your name alone, that means it's not in the trust not with a beneficiary, not joint with someone else, not transfer on death, payable on death with a, you know, a live beneficiary. Sometimes you might have assets with your predeceased spouse on it, and then you may have to go through probate. But basically what goes through probate are assets in your name alone. Let's say the deed to the house, husband and wife. Husband dies, house automatically passes to wife, assuming that the deed reads husband and wife. Wife then, that house is a probate asset unless she does something with the property before she passes away. And so that would go through her will if she doesn't take action before she passes away. So probate, it's a court proceeding. Right now in in the COVID world, and it's still a COVID world in, in the court system, it could take literally years to go through probate. Even a simple probate, everything to two kids who get along might take a year. And say a year, well, what's the problem with that? Well, let's say for the sake of argument, you have a co-op, and that co-op has a has a mortgage on it, a loan on it, and their maintenance fees. So you're waiting a year, let's say, for a judge to issue an order to sell the property. Well, 
you wait for that year, you're paying the maintenance, the co-op fees, the um, mortgage payments. You know, that can add up to real money, and you're losing the equity on the co-op before you know it. And I mean, it hurts. Let's say you're paying three, four thousand dollars a month in combination of those fees, and then you have a three hundred thousand dollar co-op, and each month you're seeing almost one percent of the equity of your co-op float away. So that's that's one of the reasons to avoid probate. Right now, you can't count on probate taking less than a year. And listen, even in the old days, there was red tapes and delays, and it took longer than you wanted it to take. But even in the old days, probate took took some time. But now probate, with the court system semi-closed, uh, it could take forever to get through probate. And I'm not even talking about some of the problems we have with probate once in a while. If, for the sake of argument, one of the children contests the will, probate's going to take forever. If one of the children is missing, probate will take forever. If you have a, a, a your family tree is not clear, you don't know who your relatives are. And some people say, well, nobody has to be contacted after I'm gone. I don't have any relatives. It's not quite that simple. you got to publish in the newspapers, the court appoint, you know, an independent guardian to take a look at the will, make sure it's okay. Um, this could take years. And this is even pre-COVID. You know, so a will in those cases could take years. Your, your next of kin is incompetent. You have a child who can't take care of himself. You even left the child part of your estate and your will through a supplemental needs trust. But... You know, they can't sign a consent to the will because they're not mentally competent. Well, the court's going to appoint an independent lawyer to take care of that child. And that's going to cause a delay. And like I said, we're not even talking about if somebody contests the will. If the will, if somebody takes the staples out, that's going to take a major delay. Little things that you don't even think about. Somebody makes some marks or comments on the will, original will. That's going to cause a major delay. It's a court proceeding. It's bureaucracy. Ordinarily, we don't want ordinarily we don't want your assets to go through probate. We want your assets to go outside of probate. Now, if you own real estate, the best way to avoid probate is through a trust agreement. And what's a trust agreement? A trust agreement is a family contract. Let's say it's a house. It's your house as long as you're alive. After you're gone, the house passes to the next generation. Let's say to your children. So let's say you have your three kids. The trust would say the day after I'm gone. The house goes to my three kids. Now, in some cases, let's say if you have three kids, you may have one of the children to be in charge and divide it three ways. That's the person you choose to, to, to handle what we call the trust, the trustee. That's the person to handle the trust, but it's still three equal shares. So in other words, you put the house under trust with one child as a trustee. That child signs an agreement that all the assets in the trust after you're gone are going to be divided. We're going to say in this case three equal shares, share and share alike among my three children. If one of my children passes away before me, then his or her share of the trust then passes to the next generation, ordinarily your grandchildren. Ninety percent of the trusts we do, we do not, you know, put in-laws into the trust. It usually only goes to your descendants. It's a Latin term that we use per stirpes. So it goes through the family line. So if something happens to you and, God forbid, your son dies before you, his share of the house doesn't go to your daughter-in-law. It goes to your grandchildren. Now, does it have to go like that? No. A trust can really, you know, w with some good planning, decent planning, we can have a trust go wherever you want. You can say, if this happens, the house goes here. If that happens, the house goes somewhere else. Like, give me an example. 
Well, if something happens to my daughter, her share in the house passes to my grandchildren. If something happens to my son, he doesn't have children. Well, then it passes to my other grandchildren or it passes to my other son or daughter, whatever. But if you ask me, can I do this in the trust? Can I do that in the trust? The answer is almost always yes. A trust is a very flexible document. Now, you might say, well, a trust sounds too complicated to me. But there are a lot of different problems with trusts. There are a lot of different problems if you try to avoid a trust. I'm just going to give the house to my son or daughter. Well, that right now may cost you a lot of money in taxes. Ordinarily, and, and things may change, and we're at a point of uncertainty out in the world as far as the world of taxes goes. But right now, you can leave, if you're a New York State resident, you can leave $6 million completely tax-free through a trust. Capital gains are wiped out by death. There's no estate death tax under $6 million. The exact number is $5,930,000, and that's $5,930,000 for a husband, $5,930,000 for a wife. So, in effect, between a husband and wife, we can leave almost $12 million tax-free to the children and not pay any tax. So, you know, there's no one right answer for everybody. But if you own real estate and you want to avoid probate, you may want to think about a trust agreement. And depending on how we word the trust, we can also protect that house in a trust for medical bills, nursing home bills. And that's one of the main goals of people in the middle class today in their estate planning plans. How do I save my house from nursing home bills? A lot of cases, we put it in the trust. We can protect that house from medical bills, nursing home bills. And then eventually, we can apply for Medicaid to pay for those medical bills, and the house won't be touched. I think most of the goals of of most people, their goal consists of, I want to give my house to my kids. You know, cash may be one thing. Stocks may be something else. But I think the goal of, of most families is to protect the house Leave the house to their kids. That's the legacy they want to preserve the most. And again, if you go to one of our seminars, we're going to go over, you know, 100 different seminars, but 100 different scenarios, I'm sorry, and we're trying to do the right thing for your, for your family. But if you own real estate, you want to start thinking about a trust agreement. If you don't own real estate, there are other ways we can avoid probate. Bank accounts being trust for a joint. Bank accounts can have payable on death, transfer on death. If you have brokerage accounts, insurance policies, can have beneficiaries. Liquid assets, there's a lot of ways to avoid probate. Real estate, the only effective way to avoid probate is through a trust agreement. Now, if you own a co-op, I hate to say it, but things are not always that easy with co-ops because you got get permission of the board in order to transfer the stock certificate to co-op, let's say, to a trust. You need permission of the board. You can't do it without it. You don't you don't own that stock certificate outright. You're, you're in partnership with with the other people in your building or complex. And in order to transfer your stock certificate to a trust, you're going to need permission of the board. That means you have to get board approval, and it's not always that easy, and sometimes it's it's more expensive than we want it to be. But in most cases, it's still going to be easier and less expensive from your children than if they have to go through probate. So if you own real estate, you own a stock certificate to a co-op, you want to avoid probate, you do that through a trust agreement. If you have liquid assets, there are other ways to avoid probate. The other question is, do you want to protect those assets from nursing home bills? And if you want to protect those assets from nursing home bills, the one thing we might recommend first is to do a trust agreement to protect those assets from medical bills, nursing home bills. Okay, we're going to take another break. We'll be back in a few minutes. 
Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Welcome back again to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, now accompanied by my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. All right. Now, one of the things we're going to be talking about at the seminars at the end of the month, the change in the Medicaid rules that go into effect January 1st. Today, let's say if you put all your assets in an irrevocable trust or give them away before, let's say today, before the end of July, on August 1st, the first day of the month following the transfer, you can apply for home care community Medicaid. That is the law in New York State now. That law changes, unless they change it again, that law changes January 1st. You know, this law has been supposedly been implemented for almost a year now. But anyway, I think it will be finalized on January 1st, which means if you put your assets in an irrevocable trust today, let's say in July, you can apply for home care community Medicaid on August 1st, the first day of the month following the transfer. There is no effective look-back period for transfers made at the present. The law changes January 1st. If you make a transfer, you know, before January, after January 1st, there's no question there's going to be a 30-month penalty period, look-back period. So for the sake of argument, you put $100,000 in a trust today, you can apply for home care community Medicaid, on August 1st, you put $100,000 in a trust on January 2nd, because first is going to be a legal holiday, then you can't apply for home care Medicaid for a period of 30 months. Now, there are always some things we can do. We can spend some money. We can spend down. We can have a, in theory, you would have about an eight-month penalty on that. There are always a lot of things you can do. That. Never feel like, oh, I can't, I've got to wait the 30 months. But there will be a look-back period of 30 months two and a half years. So if you have a relative, you're thinking you may want to get them on Medicaid, home care Medicaid, community Medicaid, and there's some assisted livings throughout the city that do take community Medicaid to pay their assisted living bills. They're not a lot. Don't get me wrong. Don't you know start going every assisted living out there and say, hey, will you take Medicaid? Because nine out of 10 of them are going to say, no, we don't take Medicaid. But at the same time, there are a number of facilities in the, in the city area that do take community Medicaid to pay their bills for assisted living. So here's the thing. you got an elderly relative. You put their assets in a trust now. On August 1st, you can apply. If you put the assets in on November 1st, you can apply on December 1st. The problem is going to be if you put the assets in on December 1st, well, technically you can't apply till January, and January is when the new rules start kicking in. So if you have a relative who's disabled, over 65, they need home care benefits. You may want to think, hey, let's get into the system now before the rules change January 1st. Not only that, it's it's a lower threshold to be able to be eligible for services, you know, before January 1st and after. And, you know, we'll, we'll answer the questions as they come up at the seminars. But if you want to go through this, if you have a relative, maybe, you know, you're thinking about doing home care Medicaid or not, give us a call at 718 
718-238-6500. You don't necessarily have to wait for the seminar. You can show up and have an in-person appointment. We do not charge for the initial consultation. The first consultation is, you know, is free. And then we go from there. And everything we do as far as estate planning, elder laws, and a flat fee basis. We don't charge by the hour on those type of matters. We charge by the job. Because we've been doing it long enough, we know how much work it's going to take. You come in, we give you an estimate, and you know exactly how much it's going to cost. And then we go from there. And it's the same if we're doing estate planning with the will or trust. You come in, we don't charge for the first consultation. The initial consultation is free. And then we go from there. And then you decide whether you want to go ahead or not. You got nothing to lose by coming in and talking it over. Now, also, and here's one thing we may not be able to answer the questions on. What are the new tax laws going to be? Because we just don't know. There's a lot of panic out there. And yes, I think you have a right to be worried. I don't know about panicking yet because the Republicans are probably stop any major changes between now and budget reconciliation. And when budget reconciliation comes in, maybe something really crazy or stupid gets passed in. But we got to hope that there's at least some sanity that a couple of Democratic senators, you know, will hold out for some sanity and not change things dramatically. Right now in New York, there's no death tax under $5,930,000. There's no federal estate tax under $11,700,000. What is it going to be next year? I don't know. Are the Democrats going to change it where they, you know, and what Rush Limbaugh, God bless his soul, used to say, tax the dead. In other words, raise the tax rates on dead people that died in January or February, pass a law in, in November raising the tax rates back to to January. If they do that, they're going to be constitutional questions because can you change the tax laws after somebody else is dead? That is a constitutional question. I don't know what the eventual answer is going to be, but... I would bet that there's going to be a compromise where something stupid, stupid does not happen. Something bad, yes, could happen. No question about it. But I don't have a crystal ball. We don't know how the Senate's going to work this out. Remember, for the for the Democrats to pass the law, they have to get all 50 Democratic senators on board, all 50 of them. And if it's really out there and crazy... There's still some senators from red states who may put the brakes on something really crazy. So we got to hope for the future. You know, and don't forget to vote in the next upcoming elections in, in 2022, because that could put the end to the craziness, because right now there are a lot of crazy ideas floating out there. But we'll try to we'll try to put our crystal ball hats on and figure out what's going to happen. My best bet is that they're going to freeze the estate tax. They're going to keep the death tax at close to $6 million for New York State for a long time. They're going to keep the federal estate at $11.7 million. Uh, it's hard to say. And, and again, this is a time to do planning more because let's just say they bring it back to $5 million. There's some talk about doing that. Well, with proper planning between husband and wife, we can get $5 million out tax-free husband, $5 million out tax-free for wife. And in a lot of those cases, we're going to be able to avoid the tax. So let's not panic. You know, we'll see what happens. In the meanwhile, keep listening to the show, and if there are any major changes, we'll certainly try to, you know, to give them to you as they come up. Attend our seminars if you want, and the end of 
in the end of this month. And Michael, what are the times again on the seminars? Our seminars for the month of July are going to be Tuesday, July 27th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. at Buckley's in Marine Park. That's 2926 Avenue S. That's Buckley's in Marine Park, Tuesday, July 27th, 11 a.m., 3 p.m., 7 p.m. Wednesday, July 28th, it's going to be in Maspeth at Connolly's, 7117 Grand Avenue, 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. That's Wednesday, July 28th at Connolly's in Maspeth. Thursday, July 29th, 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m., right here in Bay Ridge at the Bay Ridge Manor. That's 476 76th Street, the Bay Ridge Manor, 476 76th Street, on Thursday, July 29th. And finally, Friday, July 30th, at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m., just 11 a.m. and 3 p.m., we're going to be in Bayside at the Adria Hotel, 22117 Northern Boulevard. Bayside, the Adria Hotel, Friday, July 30th, and that'll wrap up our week of seminars. Okay, and we'll see you next week, same times and places on the radio. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.